Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Rupert Wisconsin Show, episode 136, coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm host producer, the biggie, Eric Fisher. Joining me this week, we have Dylan Tritt. Dylan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. Glad to be here. Uh, Sean could not make it. He was slated for this episode, but uh, due to technological issues, specifically his internet went out. Uh, he is not able to join. Maybe Secretary Shauna joining a little bit later, but as of right now, it is just me and Dylan. Uh, we do have some participation from Ramsey, so I will lead with that as well. So we have four members, kind of, potentially participating in the episode of the Roof for Wisconsin show. So first and foremost, I don't know if anybody saw on our social media pages, but I do want to issue a big thank you to the people who did take the time to listen uh, over the last year, uh, specifically, and I don't know any names, but the 23 people who made us their top, one of their top 10 podcasts on Spotify, the 17 who had us in the top five, and the four who had us in as their top podcast, which one of them was not me. I was pretty peeved about that. It was actually my number two. Shauna said it was her number one, so she is one of our four. So we have to find the other three. So if you're listening, shoot us a message. I want to find out that other three. With that said, let's talk some business. As always, we got to talk about our friends over at RPW Rage and Pro Wrestling. Next event coming up at G- February 10th at the Watering Hole in Green Bay. Tickets are available for that. You can also sponsor a wrestler for that event. So for that information, go to the RPW social media pages, Rage and Pro Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram. So be sure to check them out and get ticket information there as well. Also available at the Watering Hole and Look Sharp in the Fox River Mall for those tickets. Also got to shout out our friends over at Ray's Energy, RepSports.com, code ROOT4, R-O-O-T, number four, gets you 15% off of any order. And that's code ROOT4, R-O-O-T, and the number four. With that, Dylan, we dive into the episode. And generally speaking, this is where we would do our ROOT4. In light of Thanksgiving and having two weeks off, I kind of want to go a different route here with this question. And you can feel free to answer this any way that you would like to. Mm -hmm. Completely up to you. So, But kind of the way I was thinking with the holiday of Thanksgiving and with Christmas coming up as well. I want to ask you one moment that you are thankful, sports moment that you are thankful that you got to watch, either seeing in person, participating in, watching on TV. If you have more than one, awesome. So I really want to hear your answer on this because I have a couple lined up here as well. Yeah, I have a couple. I think uh, the earliest one that I can remember would have been, at least as far as a huge moment, uh, was the Packers' most recent Super Bowl sure. victory. Um, I think that's a pretty common answer. <laughs> Probably one of yours as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I was a sophomore in high school, I think. You would have maybe been. For, maybe I was a freshman. I very. Yeah. This is one of those dumb things I remember, and I, mm-hmm. I don't – I'm just going to put it out there like this. So our school in Gillette – had this uncanny ability for probably about four or five years or something. You know, there was always some sort of like, you know, and very typical in high schools, but like a bomb threat or something that was never going to actually come to fruition. Mm-hmm. It was always very amplified in Jill because there's only a hundred some people in the high school. Right. So it was a very big precaution and you got the option if you want to go to school or not. We actually had a basketball game that night 
And our coach said he preferred all of us to be in school, but if we didn't, he'd understand because he can't make us be there. And it was a very relaxed day because as most people would guess, if a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old had to, to not be in school, their odds are not going to be. Yeah. Um, and so I very vividly remember this because of that, that I was one of the people I'm like, well, I got nothing else better to do. I'm a freshman and, you know, what else am I going to do with bus leaves at like three o'clock because it was up in Niagara, actually two mm-hmm. thirty. I think the bus left at two thirty because that's an hour and a half drive um, from Gillette to Niagara. So we had to leave like incredibly early to get to there, you know, to get to the school to load up um, for warm ups and whatnot. And I very vividly remember like the cafeteria made like a Packer themed cake for lunch that day. Very nice. Um which again, it's, it's stupid that I remember that, but that's just part of like the whole thing I remember. And then going up to Niagara, I think we won. I'm, I think I'm gonna. I don't know if anybody's gonna call me on that. It was a JV game, so there's really no record of it. But I'm going to say I'm pretty sure we won. Because, we'll go with you won. We'll go with yeah. It. We'll go with it. Um. So I like I said, I remember that whole weekend, and I remember being at my aunt and uncle's house to watch that game. Huge family party. Great time. Yeah, we had a. We, obviously, I was a sophomore in high school. We had uh, one of my friend's parents had a had a Super Bowl watch party, and we had you know four or five different families with all of us because they all had kids in the same class. Obviously, class of 2013. And I just remember I wasn't huge into football at that time, but I think that's what really pushed me to get more into football was sure. watching that. Cause I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think the next one, Wisconsin related, be watching the Bucks win the, their first NBA title since '71. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good my, one. Sitting at my friend Nick's bar, Willie Beeman's, with Mac. So that was that was good. It's kind of like we weren't like pumped or anything. We we're kind of just like, did we really just watch the Bucks win an NBA right. title? <laughs> Yeah, we did. You know, they started pouring out shots at the bar, and that was a good. That was a good time. I, I definitely. I wish I would have been at Pfizer for that. Yeah. What are you gonna do? There's always more. Right. <laughs> if I remember correctly, you and I were looking into going that day too. Mm-hmm. Like there was like we were not gonna go to the game itself because tickets were you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. But that we had thought about going down to watch outside in the deer district and just, it didn't end up coming to fruition for whatever reason. Yeah. I think with work and whatnot and having, you know, not probably getting back till one or two in the morning kind of mm-hmm. sullied us on that, but. Such is life. Yeah. Um, and then two other non Wisconsin sports related moments that I definitely am glad I was able to watch was, um, 2016 NBA Finals, Cavs come back from down 3-1 to the 73-9 and Warriors. Watched all those games at uh, Wedgwood and Omro. It was uh, just disbelief there. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch base on that one, too. And that was one of the ones that I had thought of. And actually, that's just kind of one of those that I don't think Ramsey had typed out, but... Um, in Ramsey's answers, he had mentioned that one as well. Just, or I had thought of that one because of him. Him and I watched mm-hmm. Game Seven together 
Um, I very vividly remember coming down to his old place on the other, like the far side of the pier Mm -hmm. and watching that there and losing our absolute minds when that game was happening and Mm -hmm. just being in utter, like in the best way, the utter shock of when LeBron goes to the line to really put the game away and Kyrie playing such huge minutes, getting the, that step back three, and then the LeBron block mm-hmm. uh, chase down was just two of those that always stick out for me as well. Yeah, I, I just remember, I can't remember who drove. Someone drove from the right, and LeBron cut over the free throw line from the left, and he got the pass, went up one step, and was in air. He's about to throw it down over Draymond Green. He got fouled hard. That's mm-hmm. when he hit that well, the one of two free throws. And I just remember. As soon as he went in the air, I was watching him with some of my friends from high school, and we both kind of just jumped up in the air. <laughs> we were ready for him to throw it down, and he obviously he got fouled pretty hard, missed the dunk, and then went down, hurt his wrist. We, we went from here to here. Right. <laughs> right. And then they pulled it off, and just unbelievable, unbelievable comeback. And um, that first three <clears throat> that Curry launches up misses. You're sitting there like, no fouls, no fouls. You're only up four. Curry launches one up. Kevin Love, of all people, defending him. And you're just waiting for a four-point play. Because why not? It's Steph Curry. It, if anyone's going to do it, that's who's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was definitely one of those. And what's your last one? My last one would be watching LeBron break Kareem's all-time scoring record and continuing to build on him. He's over 39,000 now. He's on pace to hit 40 sometime this season, which crazy um you know they've been talking for the last you know since he's since cream has had that record that it was going to be unbreakable right and we watched it get broken and we're not only watching it get broke we're watching it get absolutely destroyed right and it probably you know we always say this is very cliche in sports but this is one of those that likely won't be broken either at least not for quite some time Right. I mean, there's been some absolutely fantastic scores in the game of basketball, but you're going to have to have somebody who's averaging, what's LeBron average, 27 and a half? Yeah, he's in here, year 21, playing at age, what, age 38, 39? He'll be 39 in December, yeah. Yeah, so he's going to be his age 39 season and still scoring about 27, 28 a game, which is unheard of i mean yeah i think like the average like scoring points per game when you're above 35 is like i think before lebron it was maybe in the the teens not very high not close to what he's averaging i think he's at 20 i think he might be at 26 8 26 7 for the season let me let me check that as we speak here lebron's at 25 1 25 1 okay uh, for the season through 17 games, but still, again, just absolutely incredible. Shooting that, 56%, if I may add. Right, absolutely. The most efficient shooting shooting percentage of the season. So back to circling back to what I was saying is, you know, he came in the league at 18, and he was immediately, I think he averaged like 20 a game his, his rookie season, and then it just kept going up and up and up. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to have somebody who's averaging – you know, for his career, he's 27-something. You're going to have to average 27 points a game for, at minimum, 21 seasons. Right. 
I don't. I just don't see that ever happening. No, and you. I mean, I know that we're in the age of load management, and whatnot in the NBA, but for how many years the guy was playing 81, 82, 79 mm-hmm. games a year? I mean, up until two, three years ago, got the guy did, wasn't hurt. Mm, no, and he was also. You gotta remember how there was a span of what eight years in a row where he played in the finals every year. Eight straight. And so eight straight <laughs> years. Finals. Where you're playing from October to end of June, not count, and that's just regular season. Mm-hmm. So you're, I mean, you're talking like September. You're in camp, so you're playing nine months straight mm-hmm. at a high level for eight high, straight yeah. years. Some of the highest levels that's, that's ever been played. That's not counting Olympics. That's not counting uh, the FIBA World Cups that he's played in as well. I mean, that's. You could argue that for the better part of, he's been in the league 21 years, for probably for the better part of 15 of those, he's played nine, almost 10 straight months. Mm-hmm. And then played, you know, at least three quarters of a year. That's insane. Another um, part of it that is, is just going to, is going to, exacerbate this scoring record is his consecutive games scoring in double digits like over 10 points he is you know he's well over a thousand games straight sure which is i think michael jordan has the second longest streak at maybe nine something 900 something right um I'm sorry, Michael Jordan is 866. Wow. 866. And as of the most recent article I can find on it, this one says May of this year, he was at 1,151. And I think we can add, uh, they put 17 games this season, including they're playing tonight, so make it 18, I believe, because I, I don't think the stats count for tonight yet. So add 18 to that because he's got 25 tonight. Right. I believe the longest active streak is Joel Embiid with just over 100. Jesus. So it's just not going to – it's another thing that's not going to get broken. That's so. another one of those things where on top of night in, night out scoring, you also have to – again, I, I talked about the longevity, the durability, the, the health, mm-hmm. where you're not getting hurt like the first or second quarter. So, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of luck too. Don't get me wrong. Right. Right. Because it is, you know, it's easy to play, or I shouldn't say it's easy to play 81 games or 82 games, but it's for conversational sake, easy to play 82 games. And, you know, if you roll an ankle in the first quarter of a game on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. you're not playing again until Saturday. You can realistically probably play that Saturday. But, you know, you sit out that Tuesday night, and if you do it like the first or second quarter, I mean, that's again avoiding that kind of luck mm-hmm. too uh my moments a lot of you said and I, you know I, I know i've touched base on a lot of these here too uh, i i did want to add in the brewers 2011 season because at that point 2008 was fun but the brewers they won one playoff game in 2008 and that mm-hmm. was their first time in since 1982 making the playoffs um which was again incredible i don't want to take that for granted whatsoever 26 years 
of not making the playoffs, which is a year shy of what I've been alive now. So that's would have basically been my whole life, not make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And 2008, so they make the playoffs all, you know, very fun, whatever. But 2011 was kind of one of those moments where you got to really see a, a Brewers team dominate. Now, 2008, again, like I said, it was fun. You had a lot of pieces of the kind of the, the next generation of Brewers baseball that were kind of coming into their own. Ryan Braun was coming off a rookie of the year type season. Prince Fielder mm-hmm. was still performing at a very high level um, and kind of just getting into his peak, I would say. You had, you know, Ben Sheets and Giovanni Gallardo playing at very high levels. A uh, couple of, you know, just a, a number of other names. Mm-hmm. You get Cece Sabathia, again, that was cool. That was incredible because the Brewers just didn't get guys like that. And granted, it was only for four months. Um, so, And I did actually get to go to a Cece Sabathia start with the Brewers, which was electric. Um, so but that so that season was that season was special. But 2011 was the prime of a lot of these guys. I mean, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. talking like you got Ryan Braun in an MVP type season. Or actually, I'm not even MVP type MVP season. Ryan Braun played an MVP season that year. Prince Fielder probably could have got I believe he was third place in MVP voting, if not like fourth. Because um, I think that year it was Ryan Braun, Matt Kemp were the two finalists or the two. Mm-hmm. Like, one and two, but um, you had guys like you had Zach Greinke, who again was one of those acquisitions the Brewers made that you didn't see a lot of prior to that point. Um, he was an offseason acquisition, so they did have him for the full year, so that was a little bit different than the CC trade. But you had a whole culmination, and then on top of it, you had the folk hero. Like every good baseball team needs a guy who is like a journeyman who just kind of clicks together for a few months and has like the their career made in that time. Mm-hmm. And that season it was Niger Morgan, AKA Tony plush. And the guy just lived for walk-offs, including game five of the 2011 NLDS against the diamondbacks, um, where he actually singled in Carlos Gomez to advance the NLCS and, yeah, the Brewers did fall short. They lost in game six or seven of that NLCS against the Cardinals, who'd go on to win the World Series. But just one of those times where it was like, holy shit, like, this is this is what you want as a baseball fan. Like, this is, you have an MVP, you have a great pitching staff. Like, again, just mm-hmm. incredible. It was like a one-year spark that really didn't happen again until 2017, 2018. And now we've had a huge, you know, this burst of Brewers baseball. Um, so those were my big moments. Ramsey added in that he is thankful that he got to see Aaron Rodgers' last win at Lambeau Field, uh, which took place against Minnesota Vikings last season. Uh, myself and Sean were there as well, uh, as well as Sean and our buddy Armando. Um, so I, I would be willing to bet that, that is one of theirs as well. Kind of looking back at the mm-hmm. career, um, that's one that you always get to say you were at. Shauna says no. Shauna says she's not thankful that she was there <laughs> for that game, but she's also a hater. Uh, her list, she yeah, she's a hater. Me. She said the Super Bowl is one of hers. So that 2011 Super Bowl we had touched on, as well as Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay. Um, so she wanted to throw that in there. And then she did also wow. mention the three MVPs of Wisconsin at the same time. We had Giannis, Yelich, and Aaron Rodgers. So yep. she did add that in as well. So ironically, two of her three moments mention Aaron Rodgers being great, and then one of hers is saying bye to Aaron Rodgers. 
One's just hating. She's just hating. I know, I know, but is what it is. Um, so that's the thankful part. So the other part of this question. So here's where we usually do the nuggies. They're negatives, and there is a nuggie worth mentioning here, and that's the NFL on Fox for not having a turkey leg for Jordan Love. Yeah, uh, they claim that they did not plan to do one. There's been rumors that Greg Olson ate the one. And the broadcast crew ate the one that was meant for the Packers because they usually would cook two. Uh, Greg Olson refuted that immediately, saying that there's always one for the broadcast booth, which would have just left the one for the Lions that had the Lions logo seared into it. My question, and I know the Packers were like a huge underdog in that game. I think they were like a four-point underdog in that game. So for what, or three-point underdog. So for what it's worth, you know, you don't necessarily expect Green Bay to win that game. Mm-hmm. No, six and a half. I take that back. It was six and a half. So you're a full touchdown. So I, I understand that they're an underdog. I don't want to, you know, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. But for simplicity's sake, if you're only going to make two, why would you not? I mean, the turkeys have two legs. Like, why would you not sear yeah. one Lions logo, sear one Packers logo, and then you still have your your Fox Sports one? for the broadcast team. I, I, I somebody dropped a sense. ball somewhere. Yeah. And it didn't have to be it they didn't have to. And maybe, you know, Greg Olson's just kind of deflecting and maybe he did, you know, accidentally rip the one that was meant for the Packers if they were to win. But again, like I said, how do you how do you not just have that in mind? You know, in the back of your head saying, okay, let's make this as simple as possible. We'll have one for the game, no matter what. It'll be Lions or Packers. Do they make them ahead of time? I'm sure they make the turkeys ahead of time, but do they do they sear the logos in ahead of time? I would have to assume so. Yeah, I would I would think so too. Because I mean we we never trailed that game. So it's not like they're they're not watching the game. You know, by halftime. It was twenty three to six. You can't go like, oh, Green Bay's up twenty three to six, but we're still going to sear the Lions logo into it. So, right, <laughs> it leads me to believe they do it ahead of time. Which, back to your point, nothing's guaranteed. So why don't even if you have an extra turkey, that one has Lions on both sides and one has Packers on both sides, and whatever the Packers lose, you donate it to a local food shelter or something whatever well like i said let's let's not overcomplicate this even let's put one on or one leg on each set because you're only giving the leg for like the player of the game well right like let's let's keep this as simple as possible to avoid any confusion screw-ups whatever like again like that's that's where i'm lost on this but i digress yeah, I got nothing. That, I got that's nothing. that's the easy um topic but so anyway the question i had for this one and I was kind of struggling with my answer for this. I had a couple in mind for this one as well. Mm-hmm. But the question I had on this one kind of goes back to this weekend as well. So uh, for those of you who didn't see, and ever, there's a different one every year, but uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide football team beat Auburn on a last-second fourth and goal from the 31-yard line on a touchdown. Um, and after the game, college, uh, one of the, probably the biggest rivalries in college football which is Alabama-Auburn, 
even when neither team is, you know, when both teams are good, which is very few and far between, when only one team is good, it's always a great rivalry game. It's very rarely a blowout. Um, and in two, I mean, it's within the state of Alabama, there's no pro team going to, to you know, detract. So really, this is end-all, be-all for Alabama right. State football fans, or state of Alabama football fans. Um mm-hmm. So after the game, they showed a number of the students and fans in the game on the Auburn side, because it was at Auburn, uh, crying. And yeah, the internet, you know, makes their jokes and it's all, you know, all good. I'd be disappointed if they didn't. But my takeaway, there was one person who said, how does sports make somebody feel like this? It's a game. You're not playing in it. How does it make you feel like that? And I'm sitting there, well... I feel like it's a great question to explore <laughs> because sports for a lot, I mean, it's an, it's an escape from reality for even a couple hours. It's, you know, you bring a lot of emotion mm-hmm. into it um, and you can experience, you know, we just talked about some of those incredible moments that actually left us speechless. So in kind of a different question, my, instead of a noogie, cause I don't want, I'm not roasting those fans. Like, yeah. Like, again, it, it's kind of funny being caught on national TV, bawling Agreed. your eyes out when you're not playing, but because it is such an emotional thing, I kind of wanted to ask the question of what is a moment in sports that, I mean, what's, what really made you realize that you love sports and what like gives you that emotion? Um, Ramsey actually answered this one as well right away. And this is one that I didn't really think of, but it really, you know, looking back, I, I got to give him credit for this one says he remembers watching Brett Favre play the Raiders after his dad passed away back in mm-hmm. 03. He would have been like seven years old. And looking back, I think that is one of those moments where you realize it's not just a game. It's so much bigger. It's, again, you talk about the escape from, from reality for three and, hour, you know, three and a half hours. Everyone was rooting for Brett Favre. I mean, these, guys, these receivers are going up and catching balls that had no business being caught. Mm-hmm. All you know, the Raiders to that point, and really to this point, still have been one of the most hostile environments to go play into, and yeah. it was all love for Favre and, um, you know, everything that kind of goes with that. And so, like, that's one of those moments that, again, actually stuck out to me too. Is like, holy shit, this isn't just well, as much of a seven-year-old can say, holy shit, but holy shit, this <laughs> right. is not just, um, mm-hmm. not just a game. Like, this means so much more than just a win or a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that kind of comes to mind, there's so many of these, but another one of those that comes to mind is Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the summer Pepsi 400 at Daytona four months after his dad passed away. That's one of those mm-hmm. where it's like, that again, very vividly sticks out in my mind. Um, the only other one, so I kind of phrased this question as however you wanted to answer it. And... When I asked you, because I, I asked you guys to do your homework for once, so we're actually kind of prepared. And it, I'm really bummed that Sean couldn't come on, because it sounded like mm-hmm. he had some pretty good answers. But um, kind of a moment that you realize like, you love sports or that you wanted to be in sports media. And, and for me, the other side of that coin of when I wanted to be in the sports media and talk about them and, and do this whole thing is I remember two things as a kid. Uh, I very vividly remember playing Madden, and when if you play Madden, especially back in those days, you know nowadays you get like a weekly update, 
and they have some new commentary and all that. But if you remember those games back in like 03, 04, 05, Madden 05. Once, you, once you got to a certain point, I mean, A, it was very stale the way it was because it was very phoned in generic. But if you're playing like franchise mode, which is always my favorite mode to play on those games, you get to a point where there's not really commentary. They don't even add it. Like they didn't even have the, I mean, they didn't have the the technology at the time to put it onto a game where they could have like just generic name pronunciation and like a, like a huge storage space of information to pull from where you can kind of <clears throat> AI, you know, sentences together. Right. So, like, if you're playing franchise mode after probably like two seasons, there's no commentary. So I would always like make my own. And I remember very vividly doing that. And then I also remember one of my friends and I think he listens to the show. So I'm going to give him a shout out. So Ty Pilot, who also went to Green Bay. Um, yep. He had gone to Gillette Elementary through, I believe, third grade is when he and his family had moved. Um, but I, again, one of those dumb things kids do. There was a time where I think we had football banned because we got too rough. So him and I, like, I remember, like, we would sit on the swings and make, like, our own sports radio show. Mm-hmm. And, like, we would just talk about sports a couple times a week. So those are kind of those two, like, kind of flashback moments where, like, okay, this is always something that's meant that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you got for this question? The earliest stuff that I can think of was... My dad was huge into NASCAR when I was a kid and he would tape the race and he would watch it every Sunday night and he would make a huge, huge bowl of popcorn. He would melt some butter, cover it in butter, put some salt in there. And he had, he had this huge bowl for him and he had these little bowls for us Mm -hmm. kids. So we would, we would all sit down. We would, grab a bowl of popcorn and we'd sit there and root for Jeff Gordon <laughs> for however many laps the race was. Um, as long as I can remember, it's just been Jeff Gordon, which is great. You know, I, I was never huge into watching NASCAR. I found it pretty boring, honestly, but <laughs> as most kids to, do. Yeah. It was something to just sit and hang out with dad and yeah. watching him get, either really happy or really not happy it was like <laughs> it's kind of like yeah this is this is what sports is and then you know i started getting into it when i got a little older watching some college basketball i will start actually starting off going to our high school basketball games as a kid mm-hmm. watching those going to the high school football games watching those as a kid um you know, as a kid, I got a question off. for you. Yeah, so, ahead. every high school has this. Were you one of the kids that would sit in the bleachers all game, or were you causing trouble underneath the bleachers playing football behind the bleachers or underneath the stands, whatever? That's what I was just going to get at. When I was a kid, we were all off in, in the practice field playing our own football game. Mm-hmm. And that's all we were doing. And then at the end of the game, we'd come back because we didn't want to get lost. We wanted to go home. We didn't want to walk. <laughs> so, um, yeah, those are probably my earliest sports moments. And then obviously, you know, when I was of age, dad, mom and dad put me in sports and it was started off as basketball, mm. um, which I played through college. Well, practice player through college, but through high school, um, played football for a couple of years, 
which wasn't really my thing. Um, switched over to soccer, ran track, and it's just the competitiveness, the the mm-hmm. drive to want to be better, the the feeling you get when you when you win, when you when you go well deep in the postseason. Yeah, we never had that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we never did for soccer. Um, our, our conference had either the state champion, the state runner-up, or both most of my most of my high school years. So basketball, we did well for ourselves. Um, you know, track track was track was nice because it's an individual sport. Most of it, I mean, you have your relays, but you're as good as you want to be, basically, when it comes to track mm-hmm. and field. So. The harder you work, as your success is dependent on you. You're not relying on a team, right? You're just out there and you're giving it your all. And yeah, there's something something to be said for that. I want to add in too. I mean, I, I remember very vividly again sitting with Dad on Sunday or Saturday night and watching different sporting events. Or one thing about baseball that was really cool, or that I really fell in love with baseball, is that because they play 162 games a year, they're on virtually every night during the summer. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they have a couple off days. You know, there's an occasional Monday or Wednesday or Thursday it's a travel day, whatever. Um, but my dad worked a lot of like late nights and whatnot too, so he would come home just wanting to relax and have something on and hang out with us in a you know a very relaxed environment. And that was one of those that I can very vividly like, point back to is because there's always a baseball game on. You know, you throw that on and you kind of have it in the background as chit chat and stuff, or you, know, you pay attention for some big at bats or whatever and. That's just one of those, again, that's probably the reason I fell in love with baseball. Um, I also very vividly remember watching uh, Monday Night Raw with my dad, too. He wasn't a big SmackDown guy or anything like that, but Monday Night Raw, it was my mom would always be in the living room watching some dumb show, probably like The Bachelor or something stupid. Yeah, some dumb mom show. Yeah, some dumb mom show. No offense, mom. I love you. Yeah, no offense. But she'd be in there watching The Bachelor. uh, As we got older, Castle was a big one for her. She'd Mm -hmm. sit there and watch Castle, then... Um, dad and I would be in his bedroom. We'd be watching wrestling, and for so long, like I, I remember, you know, when you're a little kid, like you have bedtimes or whatever. So, like for a long time, it was okay. You get to watch the first hour, and then you graduate to the second hour. Now it's three hours every week, but like, and then like for Packer games, when the Packers would play Monday Night Football, we'd usually kind of flip back and forth between commercials or whatever. But when when it was not the Packers, I could stay until halftime. When the Packers played, I could stay up to the end of the game. Like, that's just, again, one of those dumb things I remember yep. doing. But it just, it's one of those, re- you know, you bond over that stuff. And then obviously, like you said, you go, you play. Um, for the most part, I was actually one of the kids that sat in the bleachers the whole time during football games. Like, I did go off and wander around a little bit and, mm-hmm. you know, play under the bleachers and play our own games of football. I got a bloody nose one time and I got pissed pounded out of me by some like kid that's like three years older than me in one night and so that pretty much ended my ended your own career well i just I, I, it was just more fun because at the time um you need know, you kind of get a little bit older like probably like fifth sixth seventh grade you're, you're kind of putting it all together and you're learning the game and you're playing on you know for us it was pop warner from fourth to sixth grade so you're already mm-hmm. kind of into it and you're kind of like okay you know they made a very big point of um that we were on the same offense as like the high school team so like, you're kind of learning and our teams at that point were actually pretty good so i remember like, you know there wasn't really not a point in you know it was more fun to watch 
Mm-hmm. So those are kind of some of mine. Uh, Shauna added in that hers was watching football with her dad and her grandpa, and it was something that they just did. And it got her out of helping or helping to do chores with the girls. <laughs> that they had taught her everything she knew about football. So she started at a really young age, and now she's stuck with me where we watch football all day Sunday. So there are no chores. <laughs> Except I, we do go, go grocery shopping, but that's really about it. Um, so that's that's our spin on that for the week. So that is our unofficial noogie and root fours of the week, plus a bonus noogie as well. Because something really stupid did happen. <laughs> um, our Wisconsin Web Store of the Week. And, you know, I really wasn't going to do one until I saw this happen uh, late, or early this week. And I didn't really even know this happened. Because it was before you and I were born. Mm-hmm. But in the 80s, specifically the 1988 season... During the Week 11 game, somebody released a turkey onto Lambeau Field. (laughs) Somebody snuck a turkey in and released it on the field. And That's hilarious. Nobody knew who did it. It was never brought forward until this last weekend. We're on ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown. They actually finally brought it up. Um, and the person's identity was revealed as officially speaking, any s- statute of limitations for any potential crime that could be involved in this mm-hmm. have not passed. So I, I got the story. This is from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So JSO Online, uh, Christopher Coogan uh, wrote this. So uh, the mystery over why Jordan Love didn't receive a customary turkey leg after the Green Bay Packers carved up the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day continues. But another mystery involving a turkey in the Packers has been solved after being a cold case for 35 years. ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown today will dive into one of the greatest questions in Packers history. It has (laughs) nothing to do with the debate on who the greatest quarterback to wear the green gold is. The show will find the answer to who the perpetrator was who released a turkey onto a Lambeau field during a Packers game in 1988. Uh, If you don't remember, it does have a video of the turkey running around. So this was week 11. Packers were playing the Indianapolis Colts November 13th, 1988. The Colts were facing a third and two in the first half, closing closing in on scoring when Turkey minutes went into the field. There's a turkey on the field, the announcer said laughing. Packers fans are trying to gobble up a win, have sent a turkey onto the field. The Packers were two and eight at that point, coming off back-to-back shutout losses in which they were outscored by a combined 48-0. Was the turkey sending them a message? A young Bob Costas broke down the action for NBC Sports like he was taught it in broadcast school. Quote, a little episode in Green Bay, a fan looking to show his displeasure with the Packers, brought a turkey to Lambeau Field, Costas said so calmly. The gobbler let loose, and now he's gobbling up yardage across midfield, makes a move to the sideline. He's too quick for Ron Hellstrom with the Packers, and he darts out of bounds and stop the clock. An amazing moment in Green Bay, Costas <laughs> added from the studio at the halftime of the game. Uh, the Packers would go on to, on to lose that game as well. Uh, 20 to 13 on a chilly fall day to fall to two and nine at the time on their way to a four and 12 season and last place in the NFL central division. Uh, the Colts even brought this memory back up in 2016 after another animal race on the field for a Packers Colts game at Lambeau uh, in 2016. It was a squirrel. I don't know if you remember that or not. Um, 
I believe the Colts also won that game. But at the time, which again, this is wild. So at the time, 53,000 fans at Lambeau, which now you added on 30,000 since then, almost 40,000 seats since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't likely remember much about the play on the field. Rather, it's the turkey that they remember all season. It's the most they cheered all season. Um, and Heilstrom, who I just mentioned earlier, said that I'm sure that it was a disgruntled fan. A Packers offensive lineman said during the season, during an NFL Films story on the incident of the 30-year anniversary, maybe this is the message. You're just a bunch of turkeys. <laughs> um, NFL Films featured Packers turkey story on the 30th anniversary, 30-year anniversary back in 2018 with former Wisconsin Governor Tommy Thompson. When NFL Films wrote their story, they pulled out all the staffs to get the personal responsible to come forward. They even had former Governor Tommy Thompson on telling the fan that they could no longer be arrested. That person should come now or should now come forward and relieve his conscience, Thompson said in a video on NFL Films. Bear his soul out there to the public. The statute of limitations has run. He cannot go to jail. He should come forward and confess. The Packers would like it. The police would like it. The fans would like it if this one individual would step forward and say, I'm guilty. I released a turkey. But he did not at the time. Until this year, Dylan, when Gary Susky is the person who released the uh, turkey on a Lambeau field. Uh, this person now feels that it is the right time to step up. The guilty party is Gary Susky, who was a Lambeau field usher for more than 20 years. And it doesn't appear that he was a disgruntled fan as Halstrom made a thought. So why did his reasoning for his actions 35 years ago? Uh, he said, quote, we were sitting around talking sports. I said, you know, it'd be nice for me to throw turkey on the f- that field. Susky said while dressed in a full Packers attire in his ESPN interview. They said, no way. And I said, I think I can do it. Where would I find a live turkey? A turkey farmer, of course. I said, let's go in the garage and get the wildest one you got. But he couldn't act alone. He had an accomplice. Trish Kurowski, who was also interviewed for the Lambeau Field stands for the story. He wanted me to put it under my coat and walk in like I was pregnant. Kurowski recalled, uh, no. <laughs> so what he did was apparently he hid the turkey in a box before hiding it in his coat on the way to, down to Lambeau Field um, to the front row railing. And... During the 1988 game broadcast after the turkey was released, the on-field or onto the field, the announcer pondered, "How do you smuggle tur- smuggle a turkey into the stadium?" He arrived early with his plan in place and the turkey in the box. He then went to the bathroom stall to get the turkey out. But as he opened the box, the turkey began to fly away. What did he expect of the bird? Wings were going, but finally got it in my coat. Then at the end of the first quarter, he determined it was now or never. He said, "I might as well do it." He said he waited for the cameras to pass, and then he went down to the railing. And he left it go. He said, Turkey ran off 40 yards. Biggest run of the day. Go, Turkey, go. That's what Susky said to himself. Uh, fans would soon name the bird Henrietta. Uh, ESPN's story also included an interview with Brian Nering, the Packers' assistant equipment manager at the time, who helped guide the turkey off the field, describing it as a little Sunday stroll. Uh, the turkey was at the time then sent off to a Brown County restoration camp, a reforestation camp, I should say, and was even pardoned by Thompson, uh, than the governor a couple weeks before attention before Thanksgiving as the incident gained a lot of attention. Um, and that again aired on Sunday this last weekend. So incredible story. That's awesome. From the Green Bay Packers involving a Turkey. That's not about where Jordan loves was. Yeah. It's so, interesting. Cause I don't know, like he obviously he had it in a box, but right. Can people just walk in Lambeau field with big boxes? I mean, turkeys well, are sure animals. back in, I'm sure back in 1988 you could. Or maybe, I, apparently, yeah. 
I mean, you got to think of how long ago that really was. I mean, obviously, neither one of us were born. Uh, mm-hmm. Justin's the only person on the show who I think was born, and he was probably still in diaper. No, he was older than that. He was probably in his teens. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's, I think he's only 10 years older than us. So, um, you know, 88, he would have put him in, what, two, three years old or so. Not old but, enough to remember a turkey running on Lambeau Field. No. But, I mean, that's pre-9-11. I mean, you probably didn't even have metal detectors at the time. Just a turnstile, and as long as you can lift above that and you don't look like you're suspicious. I'm sure nobody questioned it. That's the thing. Clearly that's not. the weird thing. And uh, I, I want to know how he kept the turkey quiet in that box. Like you said, A, it must have been a pretty big box. But B... Like, you got to keep this thing quiet. You got to keep it from, like, rattling around. Right. That's the biggest mystery to me. And maybe it was in the video story, like, the actual full interview, not just in the, the Journal Sentinel write-up yeah. of, of it. But that's that's the first thing I'd have to ask, is how did you keep it quiet? Even if you get to the stadium early. So, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, there probably wasn't as many festivities back in the day, so people were probably showing up. 20 30 minutes before kickoff if that mm-hmm. i mean there's probably a lot of drinking anyway so that's always probably been a thing but i mean it's not like now where you know people are probably tailgating all day and mm-hmm. you know whatever not probably yeah but <laughs> i i would love to know how he kept it quiet even if it's only yeah. for a quarter i mean that's a good half hour in the stands which you know at that time even if the game's kind of getting out of hand but there's still, like, there's music, there's a lot of, you know, there's the PA voice, all that stuff. So I can kind of get how, maybe during the game, but getting into the building, standing in line, that's what, that's my question. Not even the box. Like, I don't give a shit about the box itself. I can I can wrap my mind right. around again. 1988, significantly less security to get into NFL stadiums. Not really thought of as the way it is now, with like, as an attraction, per se. Right. I, I can rationalize that. It's the how did you keep the box quiet? It's impressive, but it raises more questions than we have answers. Right. So that's a responsible we'll story. Maybe maybe we have to. We can reach out to him, um, or maybe we just watch the video. And maybe it's in there. I don't. Know. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the world of current sports, uh, really. Not a whole lot going on in the world of baseball. Uh, winter meetings are taking place for the Brewers. Uh, really, the only story of the Brewers, I mean, there's a thousand trade rumors going around, especially regarding uh, Corbin Burns, which until something happens, we'll talk about it then. Uh, mm-hmm. Devin Williams was named NL Re- Reliever of the Year, which makes the fifth out of the last six years the Brewers have had a, the pitcher, um, one of their pitchers named as the Reliever of the Year. Uh, twice now for Devin Williams, and obviously the other three times for Josh Hader. So shout out to the Brewers pitching staff. Um, and really the only other thing kind of coming out right now is that the Brewers may offer Jackson Chorio an astonishing contract extension prior to him ever playing in the MLB. And Pretty good job for him. For his sake, I mean... I think the Brewers probably just being a little, you know, you're kind of, kind of getting ahead of it. Um, you know, I feel like they've probably seen what they need to see at basically every level he's been at. The kid's only, I think he's 19 years old now, and he was in AAA this last season. 
um, with rumors of possibly being up for a September call-up. So the guy has proved it at all levels of minor league baseball. Uh, he's been he's the number two prospect in all baseball. So I think you know the, the rationale is the Brewers want to get out ahead of it and. Instead of like a Juan Soto, who the Nationals had to let walk, and now is a center of trade rumors again, because of how rookie contracts are settled, um, and that's typically you know teams like the Brewers aren't usually in position to do that. But if he's as good as you think he is, or you want him to be, you kind of want to get out ahead of it, set the new kind of this new standard for the market, while also probably getting a discount at the in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it would make so, sense. I wanted to ask you, Dylan, as a non-baseball follower, how you feel just about the idea of possibly recreating the market for a player who's never played an inning at the major league level. And I don't know if you know anything about Jackson Trio. Like I said, the guy is the number two prospect in all baseball. Um, He was signed by the Brewers, I believe, at 16 or 17 years old. mm -hmm. He is... Again, played at high levels at every level. Well, to me, the first thing that sticks out, it says that the Brewers management is willing to take some risks. Um, you know, you're, if you're going to be offering someone who has never even suited up for your professional team that kind of money. On one hand, I can say, you know, what are you guys thinking? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's... Like you guys must have done your homework on this guy. And if you're willing to offer him that kind of money, you better rope him up quick. Right. Well, and the odds are you're talking about a guy that you plan to build around right. for your next 15 yeah. years, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackson Churio. Uh, so scouting grades are based out of 70. It's 1 to 70. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a scouting grade of hit he hits 55 power 60 run 70 45 arm fielding 60 overall 65 65 out of 70 is not bad yeah and including a 70 grade steal or speed mm-hmm. um try to see if i can find some stats here on him so for his minor league career he's hitting 286 um over the all levels of minor league baseball um an on-base percentage of 347, uh, over 272 games, so basically two seasons, or a little less than two full seasons of uh, baseball. 1,000 at-bats, 312 hits, um, 63 of those being doubles, nine of them triples, 47 home runs, 98, or 191 RBIs, 99 walks, 250 uh, strikeouts, 68 stolen bases, again, over the course of basically two seasons. It's not bad. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> the the average and the interesting thing, so again, kind of take this for what it's worth, um, played in 122 games over the AA season this season at uh, AA Huntsville and, or excuse me, Biloxi, not Huntsville, um, was Huntsville at one point, but played 122 games there, hit 280-366 in six games. And again, these are very small numbers. So six games hit 333 at the Nashville AAA level. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently in 2022, 
he went through Carolina, Wisconsin, and again, end of the year, Biloxi at the double A level, Carolina, the low A, Wisconsin, the high A. Um, the odd part of this, so you look at combined, it was a 288 average. Uh, with Wisconsin, he only hit 252, but he also had 12 home runs over the course of 62 games. Or, excuse me, that's a. I had that wrong. My apologies. So he had 252, had eight home runs over 31 games. So the average necessarily wasn't there at the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers level. Um, Wisconsin's always been kind of a weird area for, for the Timber mm-hmm. Rattlers for minor league baseball for a couple of reasons. A, the weather plays a huge impact on that. Now, Trio was playing in the summer, so it's not like, you know, usually the first two months of the season are very dominated by the pitchers. You see some very low batting averages. But the other side of it is you usually see a pretty big jump from single A to double A there. I mean, it's a very, it's a stopping ground, but you also, you know, you've got guys who are just coming off of college seasons who end up playing at high A um, instead of playing at the rookie ball league or the low A level. So you mm-hmm. kind of get guys who are, who've been playing pretty much nonstop from January on. Um, you, you get a very interesting level of talent. And then also, I mean, for my my sake, I would argue that the Tim Rattler Stadium at Fox City Stadium is a very pitcher-friendly park. It's a very deep park, um, not very hitter-friendly as a whole. So I think that kind of plays into it, too, where a low average there isn't by any means like the end of the world on top of all those other sides of it, too. Mm-hmm. And again, you throw in the fact that this kid was 18 at the time. Right. Can't even drink a beer legally. There's a lot of things you can't do at 18 anymore. Yeah. Couldn't even get a pack of chew. Like, you know, baseball, baseball is very commonly associated with that. Couldn't even get a can of dip if you wanted mm-hmm. to. So that's really the only news. Um, my take on it, just real quick, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you on that. I think, you know, you have to have a lot of confidence to do that. It's it's kind of, if, he, if you plan on building your future around this guy, which they seem, you know, they, they want to. I don't blame them at all. You kind of, as the Milwaukee Brewers, you have to lock him up earlier than, you know, like a re-sign deal or not even get to the Mm -hmm. arbitration level. Because once you kind of get that, you tend to lose guys and you have the risk of having to let him walk. Like you're going to probably see here with Corbin Burns or um, you have to let either trade him or let him walk. They let Brandon Woodruff walk due to the injury situation. Mm-hmm. They are in that kind of same spot with William Adamas. We've seen this happen time and time and time again with a number of these different players who come through Milwaukee, been really, really good on their rookie contract. Uh, Josh Hader is another one for that matter, too, where you just have, you either have to make a decision, trade them or let them walk. And for a small market club, the Brewers are likely going to try to trade them a year too early instead of continuing to contend. So if you want to sign a guy for 10 years, say, hey, here's where you're going to be for 10 years. If this works out, great. If not, we tried. And you kind of reset the market for other top prospects, too, so you're kind of getting more on the same playing field. And right. if he pans out, then you're signing him a lot cheaper than than you would have. My only hope is that if they're going to do this and they have a guy who think they can they can build a successful, if not championship, roster around, that they just go all in on it. Right. Rather than, ah, let's, let's, let's keep one foot out the door just in case. 
Right. No, just just go all in. If you fail, you fail, right? You haven't really succeeded in the last however Ever. long. You You've know? never won a World Series. You've been to one. Yeah. So what have you got to lose? You're not – are we the longest active baseball club without a – or I'm sorry, are we the, the oldest baseball club without a World Series, or what? what is that? Um, I don't believe so. I'd have to look it up, but I believe there's one team that's been older than us that does not have a World Series title. Well, okay, even if we're the second oldest, <laughs> we're still not we're still not there. So if they want to and they like this kid, just go all in on it. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's kind of in that same conversation of you know you, you gotta do something and if this is a creative way to again in the grand scheme of things save some money and also not being that you know because i don't know if you remember this though but when we were in school and i think i talked to you about this with how those arbitration contracts work a lot of teams will hold off calling a guy up until like may or june so that they keep, you know, for the games played, even if they play the rest of the season from that point, they cannot, um, they can't get a, like a year of eligibility towards their arbitration. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, um, you know, this was a big thing when Chris Bryant got was supposed to get called back up and kind of start with the Cubs when they made their World Series run, where they didn't want to call up Chris Bryant for whatever reason, well, not whatever reason, to avoid the arbitration year and, and whatnot, too. So that's the route they went. And ultimately, I mean, again, you kind of look stupid and you piss your player off. And again, that's a lot of teams doing that, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, the San Diego Padres are as old as the Brewers, technically, if you count the expansion year, where... The Seattle Pilots were a thing. Mm-hmm. But as the Milwaukee Brewers, they have one year on us. They have not won a World Series. Uh, the Mariners started in 77, so they're kind of in that same ballpark. Uh, the Rays started in 1995. They've been to several since then, but have not won one. So we are the second oldest by my count, um, after the Texas Rangers finally won this year. Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking of. So they were the third, I believe. I'd have to double check that. But they were the second or third then, and they're technically, for my sake, I think they're the second. I, I would give the Padres an extra year because they weren't really the Milwaukee Brewers. Like I know that was the same ownership and shit, but right, I don't count it. Uh, the Rangers were sixty-one, so they were the third. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, uh, that's Brewers talk for the week. Um, we move on to real quickly here, the world of college football, where the Badgers are once again bowl eligible since the last time we recorded. At the time, we weren't sure if that was going to even happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, the Badgers have won two straight games. They beat Nebraska on a very chilly but beautiful Saturday night at Camp Randall, which uh, I know I posted on our social media channels that Rams and I had gone. We found mm-hmm. nine dollar tickets that day. It was in, and that includes wow. ticket fees. That's impressive. Um, and that surely came out of. So I, I decided to not do the typical Wisconsin thing, 
didn't have time to go deer hunting this year. Um, so I was sitting at home. Shauna was on a girls weekend with her mom and sisters mm-hmm. and it was about 225. I was playing Madden or something. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if, what time, you know, Badger's got to be starting now. Cause I didn't play at 11. And so I clicked on, I went to the ESPN and found out that they did not, they played at 630. If you go to ESPN, you can find like the line and they also shows tickets. Um, available and they were like four or five dollars I'm like, okay those are probably nosebleeds but i'll go click on it and they were like lower level corner of the end zone i'm like i'm i'm going to this i don't care who comes i know i texted you i texted ramsey i said someone is coming with me to this because i'm not going to sit here all night be alone and do nothing when i could be in madison for nine dollars mm-hmm. so um that's the extent of it Seventy-two thousand people had the same idea as i did uh, the Badgers were a seven-point favorite into that game. They won by seven. It was ugly. It was in overtime, but it was a win. Win's a win. Pitch bowl eligibility that night, and then the following week, and probably most importantly, this last Saturday, the Badgers took home Paul Bunyan's axe after a two-year hiatus, beating mm-hmm. Minnesota 28-14 to to clinch another winning season. I believe it's 22 straight winning seasons, which was actually in doubt uh, last year, they had to win the bowl game to officially have that they were six and six going into the bowl game. So to not have a losing record, they had to win the bowl game, which they did obviously get the streak going, and that has continued to the season as well. So they will officially be a winning program once again. Um, Dylan, I'm, I did want to ask if you know we await bowl season and what bowl the Badgers are going to be in, but I did want to ask your thoughts on the initial first year of the Luke Fickle era. It seemed to be to me that he had there's a lot of hype around his first year. He he came in with a lot of expectations. The fans, um, the, the Madison community as a whole, had a lot of high expectations for him. And I don't want to necessarily say that he failed because again, it's a first year head coach. Mm-hmm. He finished seven and five. We're bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. It's probably not what everybody had in mind, mm-hmm. but it could have been a lot worse. Oh, absolutely. And to that element, you know, I, I add in here too, yes, there was a lot of hype. I mean, the Badgers were on paper expected to contend for the Big Ten West, which would have been great. Um they ended up third in the Big Ten West, technically tied second, but Northwestern had a tiebreaker. Michigan, or excuse me, Iowa, who faces Michigan this weekend, took home the Big Ten West after somehow going 10-2 and two all season, which is nothing short of, I mean, the only way to, to say that about that team is they won a lot of grueling games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they won this last week. They had a previously had the over-under, like the lowest ever over-under since this was like a bettable stat. Uh, the previous week against Illinois, it was at 28 and a half, and they were under that. They won that 15 to 13. Um, they scored even less points this last week. This last week, they won against Michigan, or excuse me, against Nebraska, 13 to 10. At one point in that game, Dylan, they had an eleven play drive and still punted on their own side or on their own side of the field. <laughs> yeah. I did see that. 
I mean, just again, a grueling. This is again a new low for an over under. This is twenty five and a half. And Mich- or Iowa said bet. They <laughs> we're going under. <laughs> they wanted the under. This week, just a real quick stat on this. This week, the over under on the game for the Big Ten championship against Michigan is thirty five and a half. And Michigan is a 22-point favorite in that, which means that technically speaking, based on spread and over-under, that they are not even expecting Iowa to score a touchdown. Their over-under for points is 6.5, which is an absolutely insane thing to me. Now, personally speaking, I'm saying bet the hell out of the under – yeah, the over under is thirty five and a half still. The line has moved to twenty one and a half. I almost feel that Iowa can cover that because surely for their defense and their their clock management. Right. I'm not saying that they have any business winning this game. I don't expect them to. No, I, I don't think anyone outside of Iowa really expects them to. And I'm not even sure many people in Iowa expect them to, but there's just something about these big games, especially, you know, this is a Big Ten championship game. Iowa's, Michigan is the number two team in the country right now, just coming off beating Ohio State. Um, so Iowa's going to know it, it's, it's, time to, it's time to show up. And if we don't show up, we're going to get embarrassed on a national stage, which Wisconsin is no stranger to facing Ohio State in big games. I gotta I gotta go through these because this just kills me. So, but comparing the last five of these two gay of these two teams, right? Yep, I'm looking uh, at it right now too. <laughs> Michigan is five and zero. Oh, Iowa is four and one. Michigan's last five was forty nine zero against Michigan State, forty one thirteen against Purdue, twenty four fifteen against Penn State, thirty one twenty four over Maryland, and thirty twenty four over uh, Ohio State. In Iowa's last games, they had a 12-10 loss against Minnesota, a 10-7 win against Northwestern, a 22-0 win over Rutgers, a 15-13 win over Illinois, and 13-10 over Nebraska. Uh, for the season, Iowa's statistical leaders, their quarterback had 976 yards, uh, which uh, he was a backup. I want to give him credit for that. That was not their all-year starter. They had Caden McNamara, who transferred from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Their leading rusher had 779 <clears throat> yards. Their leading receiver had 299 yards and was their tight end. Um, their kicker on the season was 19 of 20 on extra points, 18 of 26 for field goals, and had a long of 53, scoring 73 points. Their punter, I don't have stats on the punter. I wish I did. ESPN let me down. but I think the, the big stat here is, is in their team stats. Their points against, 12.2, fourth in the country. That's insane. Yeah. They averaged, they punted 80 times this season for 3,000 yards. <laughs> with an average of 44 and a half yards per punt. That's insane. It's honestly I impressive. love that. I am. This game is going to be one of the worst games. This game is probably going to set football back a good 20 years. 
You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go one step further on that on that points allowed per game, Iowa being fourth at twelve point two. Third is Penn State at eleven point four. Second is Ohio State at eleven. And first, can you guess first? In points allowed per game? Points allowed per game. Georgia. No. Michigan. Wow. 10.3. So here I am hyping up uh, Iowa. They're fourth. Well, they're going against the best statistical defense in the country. I don't think anyone's expecting them to score points. And I know that we talked about that in the over-under. No. But I am very much like if this game, I, I am very much expecting this game to maybe be like twenty-one to three or something like that. Maybe twenty to three with like a couple field goals. Yeah. Now there's also a chance know. that I could be dead ra- dead wrong on this, and that Iowa loses like forty-nine nothing. There is always that possibility. You're going up against a Michigan team who is averaging 37.6 points per game, 13th in the country, allowing, again, 10.3 points per game, first in the country. I mean... Penn, Penn State kicked the shit out of them back in the early point of the season, 31 nothing. Um, I'm not sure if that was the game Caden McNamara got hurt. I feel like it might happen. Potentially. Yes, because Caden McNamara was 5 of 14 passing that game. And Deacon yeah, like come enough. in. So, and then the following week, I like I, said, I believe that that was. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did still play the week after that, so maybe not. Either way, would I would I game. doubt it? But I I got a feeling, like I said, I just have a feeling that somehow I was going to grind this thing out. It's going to be like a good old fashioned like four corners basketball type situation yeah you never Uh, know you never know so going back to the badgers uh (laughs) my bad i got distracted but going back to the badgers again take home the axe uh you know you won two of your three trophy games this season of course the only one that you lost was to iowa i don't find this season to be as upsetting as a lot of people do no i I agree this this season put in perspective how much the transfer portal doesn't matter for football. Basketball, mm-hmm. you get one player in, that's a night and day different team. Mm-hmm. Hockey, you get a new coach, like the Badgers coaching staff is all different, a lot of holdovers. You get a new scheme, night and day difference. Mm-hmm. Football, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the Badgers I can think of, one wide receiver who didn't play a whole lot, Obviously, the quarterback who did, uh, Tanner Mordecai, started and was hard to watch a lot. But you didn't really have a whole lot of turnover uh, from the previous administration, which we've talked ad nauseum on this show about how Wisconsin football was regressing under Paul Christ and, for that matter, Jim Leonard, too. Uh, do I miss the Jim Leonard defense? Absolutely. Because this year seemed a lot of more like the Packers the Ben Don't Break bullshit. Whereas Jim Leonard's defenses were very playing downhill and aggressive, but we also kind of saw that fading out last year already. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, for this season, 
yeah, you go seven and five. You know, would have been nice to contend for the West, sure. But in terms of the big picture, I don't hate this. I, I again, it just proves that how much of a dumpster fire Luke Fickle was left with all these recruits who, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, they were very much left in the late 1900s with the same offense they were playing. Mm-hmm. And the college game has gone so far away from that as a whole that aside from Iowa, you're, you've got to kind of go to the new standard. And for so long, it was you know, that was the Wisconsin way, the Wisconsin way. Well, the Wisconsin way was starting to fail. And Big time. You can argue, you know, about the academic standards and all that crap that prevents transfers and prevents different recruiting. I'm not going to go down that that path um, because I think you can still. I mean, first of all, for high schools, you high schools can very easily fudge a GPA. High school GPA has very little standard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got to throw an ACT, SAT, whatever, but. So many institutions and so many even high schools are kind of even going away from that at this point. So I, I don't put much on that as as much as some people do. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think you just need to be recruiting. You need to change how you're recruiting. And I think we are going to start seeing that here with Luke Fickle. I, I know that he kind of took a year to kind of get his feet underneath him at Cincinnati. And that's what happens when you completely change what you're going to be doing offensively. Defensively, it is a very similar scheme, but offensively, you go from ground and pound where you have like four tight ends at the field sometimes to the dairy raid or the air raid, whatever you want to call it, and you're going to have, you know, you have an offensive line not built for pass blocking who struggled. You have, and you know, a quarterback room who is as a whole, not really recruited for the system and are, as a totally different type of passer. You have wide receivers who are more possession guys. You don't have a, a true burner like you need in that kind of an offense. So I think things are going to start changing quite significantly starting next season, starting the season after. And for that matter, I think they have to because with the expanded Big Ten, where you're kind of going to go away from um, the division model, and yeah, there's an expanded playoff. So it goes from four to twelve, but you also don't have you know you have to be in the top two to be a Big Ten championship game, which Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, Washington, all gonna have something to say about that. I mean, we just named three teams who realistically had or still have playoff aspirations for this season, mm-hmm. and if shit really hits the fan, Ohio State really could make it too. So that's you know you really have mm-hmm. four playoff type teams that recruit very well, play at a very high level. God damn it. But play at a very high level as well. Um, so it's not... You, you've got to keep up with the times, is my my ultimate point. Yep. And I think Wisconsin's finally in a position to do that. We're going to find that's out. that's the most important thing. Even if this doesn't work, which I think it will, I want to be very clear on that, I still... I believe enough in the the Luke Fickle method. Even if he's not the offensive guy, that's Phil Longo. I believe in the general gist of what he's trying to do. And mm-hmm. 
uh, Chris McIntosh, the AD, saying, hey, the Wisconsin way wasn't really working out long term. So we need to try something different. And I respect the hell out of that because for that matter, you're seeing the results immediately with the hockey team already. They hired a non-Wisconsin guy mm-hmm. and broke the mold on that. And you went from a team that struggled so mightily last year to now has been a top five team in the NCAA, including had a stint as number one in NCAA mm-hmm. men's program. The, the women's program's always been good. Like we're not, even, we don't even talk yeah. about them. The volleyball program's yeah. always been good, but basketball is really kind of like the last holdout with the Greg with Greg Gard. And for that matter, I don't think he's been in position to necessarily be canned. Um, even in their their off year. You went to the you're the NIT runner up, right? Last year, which is not the standard for Wisconsin, but it's I don't think it's fireworthy yet either. No, not quite yet. I think the the message has been sent, where you have to either go or struggle, or you know you're gone. Yep. But. Uh, real quick on the basketball train, had a couple of things to mention. Um, first and foremost, the ESPN did an article today for ESPN Plus subscribers where it was talking about the power ranking the states by an amount of NCAA tournament wins since 1985. Uh, Wisconsin tied for 18th with Illinois at 57 NCAA tournament wins with between Green Bay having one in the men's side uh, Marquette had, you know, obviously they've been very successful. The Badgers have been very successful. Um, even a pretty decent, I believe I counted three for UW Milwaukee in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. So uh, tied for 18th in the country um, as a whole, I think that's very impressive. Yeah, still a, still a ways out. I mean, we're one one behind Washington at 17. Um, then the top 10, top state Florida's at 10 with 92. And then, you know, no one, no one's touching North Carolina. No, no. That's a hard 244 tournament wins since 85. But when you have two of the best programs in the history of college basketball. And consistent year in, year out too. Yeah. Even a down year is around a 32 appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right here. Duke alone has more tournament wins since 85 than 41 entire states. Jesus. And North Carolina is number two on the Division One list with 96. Duke was number one with 102. Wow. That's wild. Again, and that goes to again two great coaches and and you know in turn successors as well. Yeah. But two incredible coaches, Roy Williams and Coach K. Where was? Do you know where Virginia was ranked on that list? I'm I'm just pulling it back up now. I had it off earlier. Virginia. I feel like they had to be in the top five. I have it up here as well. Kentucky was second. California. California just has so many schools. Kansas, four. Michigan, five. Virginia is 16. Really? Yep. That's pretty shocking to me. Well, I guess when you consider, I mean, 
I guess I forget how many schools in these states some of these schools have. Like Indiana has yeah. Indiana, Purdue, Butler, and Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, you know, Michigan has the big two. Um, Kansas has Wichita State and Kansas. California has, holy shit, a bunch of them. Um, yeah, Virginia not having more than that. I I guess I'm a little surprised, but I mean, really, I feel like Virginia has really only been really good in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, Richmond had their their noise. George Mason, VCU, but it's like those smaller schools that I you know would think that kind of would have added up. Mm-hmm. That's where I was thinking like yeah, Virginia has been really good. Virginia Tech's probably had a run or two as well. But, yeah, these other schools, like George Mason, VCU, have made a couple runs. Um, mm-hmm. Richmond's been pretty okay. You know, they're a perennial tournament team. I'd have loved to see tournament appearances versus tournament wins for this list. Yeah, I'd agree. Because I, I, f- I feel like when you throw that in, especially for a lot of these like, small mid-majors, I think that kind of gets it maybe a little bit closer. Although North Carolina's got like a whole bunch of them to add in, too. Yeah. So, I mean, North Carolina has, aside from Duke and UNC, has NC State, Wake Forest, Charlotte, Davidson, UNC Asheville, North Carolina A&T, UNC Wilmington. Those are all schools that make the tournament on a pretty regular basis. I mean, those are teams like, yeah, you, you know, you write them off in your bracket, they're the 15 versus 2 or 16 versus 1. Mm-hmm. Um, but still worth mentioning. Still making it, yeah. i got to see where Maryland is on this list. I'm so curious. So they also threw in D.C. on the list. Um, Maryland is tied with Iowa at 21. I love that because obviously the the Terrapins, but you got to throw in UMBC. They have one, but a very impressive one. one, Nevertheless, still one. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the Badgers are fresh off of a Badger basketball is fresh off of a tournament win in their uh, tournament that they play in the Fort Myers tip-off. They had beaten Virginia 65 to 41, came back against SMU 69-61 on Wednesday the 22nd, and just pounded Western Illinois 71-49 to have a pretty healthy November schedule. They go five and two for the month of November. Uh, Their only loss is coming to Tennessee and Providence. They do have a pretty big game coming up this weekend against Marquette, who is third in the nation. Yeah, tough stretch coming up here. Um, Marquette has one loss of the season, which was to Purdue in the Maui Invitational, the All-State Maui Invitational. They took down number one ranked Kansas 73-59 and lost to Purdue 78-75. And to get that frustration out, they came back one ninety three to fifty six over Southern University. Um, so huge game for Marquette as well to kind of continue their mm-hmm. their trek here. Um, did want to give a quick shout here to the UW Green Bay men and women for that matter, as the alma mater. The Green Bay men 
have already matched their season win total this year from compared to last year. And we've seen some impressive games. They fall tonight to Purdue Fort Wayne 75-71. They covered their yep. spread of 11 and a half. But to me, I think the most impressive win, first of all, they win 54-53 on Monday the 20th in that Montana tournament that they were in. Um, went to overtime, had to come back a couple times. But they were a double-digit dog there. But this game that happened Saturday afternoon, they beat St. Thomas of Minnesota 64-51. And that was their third one of the season. And... This is a St. Thomas Tommy's team that has returned basically their whole roster from last year. Mm -hmm. This is also a team that beat Green Bay by 20 points last season. And on Saturday, not once did the Phoenix trail. Yeah. And that just, that goes on to just point out again, how a new coach can change college basketball, how a new roster turnover can change the landscape. Um, I've watched a handful of their games now on top of just doing the radio stuff. This team is so much night and day different than last season. And it stops and starts with Noah Reynolds. Now, in this game on on Saturday, he only scored seven points, but uh, had six assists to lead the team, had six of their 12 assists, had six rebounds, and played the most minutes that wasn't close. He played 36 minutes of the 40. And you can tell how much he means to the team when you watch them. And if you don't, if you, if you watch them and you don't know what I'm talking about, watch them for a game. And you will see number 21 everywhere on the court and making the big shots, taking the big shots finding the right passes, doing everything right. Uh, even in tonight's loss, I believe he led all scores with six, or excuse me, he was second in scoring for the whole game. He led Green Bay with 16 points. Just an incredible athlete. So I, I got to give him his due. Um, and Coach Wicks, for that matter, too, as, as the coach. Again, just making guys believe. And I don't know if you've seen it, Dylan, but for those of our listeners who haven't, go to facebook go to youtube go to whatever outlet and watch the first piece i think of six the in-season documentary they're making called 362 it's like a 10 minute video and it kind of channels green bay's really you know it's cliche but the rise from the ashes where they were the 362nd ranked program in division one last year by basically every metric which was second to last, which now actually would be last because that other, I think Hartford dropped out. So they're, they're, they were dead last in mm-hmm. all of college basketball. Um, as of the first Ken Palm ratings that came out over the weekend, first in season ones, they've already gone up 30 some spots to 332, I believe, which still is a lot of way to go because the goal for Coach Wicks is to get to a top 100 program. But that is an incredible, incredible step up in seven games. Yes, it is. So, and that includes the game tonight. They, like I said, they did lose. They did cover. Um, they are back in action on Saturday, taking on Milwaukee, who also three and four has had some big time opponents as well. Uh, they do have a non-counter 
win over what well, counts for for Milwaukee, but uh, quote unquote non counter win over Stout. They lost to Providence, got creamed by Colorado, came back to beat Luther, have lost against Stetson and beat Siena, and then lost to Southern Miss. Some very big opponents playing the Milwaukee Panthers as well mm-hmm. um, on the men's side. So did want to make mention of them as well because <clears throat> I don't usually talk about them. Felt like I had to because mm-hmm. why not? Usually don't for obvious reasons. Uh, go Phoenix. Yes, go Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> uh, with that said, got to mention the Green Bay women here. Huge weekend again. Their second top 25 ranked win. Mm-hmm. Uh, that coming against Washington State over the weekend in the Cancun Challenge. And really, this started off on Thursday of last week. They beat UMass 85-52, which was a formality, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up falling to Maryland, but had you know the, the final score doesn't really tell the story of that game. That was a very it was 68-59, but that was a game that Green Bay led or was within four or five points for the majority of that game. Um, so hanging with a Big Ten team, mm-hmm. and then. In the final day of the tournament, Saturday last week, they go and beat number 23-ranked Washington State, 59-48, in a convincing, dominating win that I don't believe they trailed that game either. And if they did, it was very early on. That was a very Green Bay. uh, They did trail after one quarter. It was 14-10 for the first quarter. Uh, Green Bay would outscore them 20-11 after that. Uh, they did lose the third quarter, if you will, 14-13, and their final quarter closed out 16-9. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, again, when you talk about Green Bay basketball, we're talking about a program that contends with these big schools, has built a resume that, as of right now, and as always, it's an estimate, it's a guess, but per ESPN's... Um, Bracketology for the women's side, they would be an at-large bid, and already receiving early votes in the top 25 poll did not make the top 25. I believe they got seven votes, which seemed a little low to me. But votes are votes. Votes are votes, which typically for Green Bay in at least the last 10 years has been they don't receive votes till like January, February, and those all matter. Those all count. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be getting votes in November, this is a balanced team. This is a very, again, very Kevin Borseth esque team. Mm-hmm. This is a very, again, you get 10.8 points from uh, Kelly Genke, 10.2 from Cassie Schiltz, 9.7 from both Natalie McNeil and Maddie Schreiber. 7.2 from Bailey Butler, 6.3 from Jasmine Kondrakowicz and Jenna Geyer. Uh, Natalie Anderson has 5.8 points. And these are all girls playing about 20-some minutes a game. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how many deep I went there. It's a lot of math real quick, but that's a very long list. I mean, you're talking about a team that is realistically four, five, six, seven, eight, eight deep, playing over very 20 balanced. minutes a game. It's a very balanced roster. And all, you know, it's kind of one of those, and I, I don't want to say this because I'm sure the Green Bay coaching staff doesn't want to hear it this way, and I mean this better than how I'm about to say it, but this is one of those where 
master of a jack of all trades, master of none, but excellent at everything type teams mm-hmm. that Green Bay has been built on. They don't have a true number one scorer on any given game. Um, I mean, they do have girls. Any girl on this team can probably go out and get 15, 20 a game if they want to. But they play within the system. They play within their team. And again, even the rebounds. Again, eight deep getting three or more rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. You have eight deep getting at least, actually, ten deep getting an over an assist per game. Mm-hmm. Just again, incredible stats from this this program, and once again on their way to potentially another. You know, you look at they were unanimous preseason pick to win the Big Ten or the Horizon League, excuse me, um, and for good reason. They returned basically everybody except two girls, mm-hmm. and two very. You know, you lose Sydney Levy, you lose um, Megan Pingle, who's now on the coaching staff. But it just continues to be rinse, wash, repeat. Right. Green Bay way. Go Phoenix. Go Phoenix. All right, Dylan, one other team in Green Bay that we have to talk about before we wrap this episode up, uh, that being the Green Bay Packers, who have won <clears throat> two straight games, have won three of their last four, and which leads us to the third assignment I had for you this week, which was asking if this team are contenders or pretenders, if they are building something that – building something good or if this is just another false hope type rally it very well could be both i'm not ruling that out either but i wanted to get we'll go as quick as we can on this your initial thoughts on that question well my initial thought is i have no idea right (laughs) you know if you would have asked me this four weeks ago i would have said don't ask stupid questions eric come on but, you know, three out of the last four against, you know, not not like the best teams in the league, but not Top joke quality teams. opponents. Yeah. Beat the Rams. I should say beat the Rams. Pounded the Rams. Lost a close one to the Steelers. Beat, a close, or beat the Chargers in a close one. And then should have won by more against the Lions, but pulled it off. Um, you know, Lions were an 8-2 and two team. Mm-hmm. Not a bad team. That's first time... I haven't had to say that about the Lions in a long time. Right. <laughs> but, you know, right now I still want to say 50-50, but looking ahead, you got our next five games. You're at New York, which should be a victory. Mm-hmm. You're at Tampa – I'm sorry, you're hosting Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. which should be a victory. Yep. You're at Carolina, which – should be a victory. Yep. Minnesota's at, a toss-up. Minnesota's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a real tough one. And then you're hosting the Bears, which should be a victory. So, realistically, we're we're looking at f- winning four out of the next five. Should be. And that puts us at nine and seven. Nine and eight. 17 games down. You forgot the Chiefs game. Yes, you're right. I forgot the Chiefs game. <laughs> I skipped over the Chiefs game. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a tough one. I don't know if if we pull that one off, then I'm going to say we're we're contenders now. Um, I'm going to add that if they beat the Chiefs, depending on how they beat the Chiefs, I'm going to be very clear on that. Mm-hmm. If they beat the Chiefs and do it rather convincingly, I'm going to be the most or one of the most delusional Packer fans, mm-hmm. and. I think, but I also do think that, like you said, just look at the schedule. That kind of lines up more on the contenders and figuring something out versus pretenders. Mm-hmm. Which, for what it's worth, and I mean, we we talk about you know not caring if this is a Super Bowl team, not caring if this is a playoff team, but for what it's worth, we've always talked about finding out if Jordan loves the guy or if he's not, and that's that's been the most important goal of this season. Yes, and with that in mind. Statistically speaking, Jordan Love has been one of the top quarterbacks in the last four weeks over that yep. span of three of four, where you can argue that he really is showing a lot of growth. And I think that's very important to mention, where even if this team doesn't make the playoffs, as long as you mm-hmm. get that growth, which we finally are really are seeing in spades. The, the Steelers game was kind of the biggest part of that but we even saw it a lot against Detroit Mm -hmm. where that growth is finally kind of coming to fruition Mm -hmm. Um, obviously time is a flat circle through 11 games has identical stats like down to completions yards uh, touchdowns that Aaron Rodgers had his first year starting Mm -hmm. which is the biggest coincidence in the world, but impressive nevertheless. Mm-hmm. But again, statistically speaking, turkey leg aside, Jordan Love, his completion percentage over these last four games is up to 65%. Um, he has gotten a career high at 300 some odd yards passing, which had not been done since 2021 uh, by the Packers. He has gone from 231 yards to 276 yards per game. Eight touchdowns and two interceptions in that stretch of the four games. Better decision-making, a little bit better passing itself. Um, His completion percentage is is creeping up. Yep, 58 compared to 65. Um, 15-yard pass. This is the biggest thing. I'm assuming this is completion, but just I think this might actually just be in terms of balls thrown. Um, 15 yard or more passes in air yards, only 35%. Now is up to 65. So you've seen growth out of the receivers. You know, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, kind of those big two. Christian Mm -hmm. Watson having a huge Thanksgiving game is exactly what you need. Starting from the first play, um, Mm -hmm. which is. I know I talked about it, I think, with the... I don't know who I talked about two weeks ago. I think it was Sean. But the idea of moving on from Christian Watson just because that the numbers are down this year is absolutely absurd to me because we you know we see why you need him around. Mm-hmm. He opens up everything else underneath for everybody else, and there's going to be games where he just eats. And so Thursday was one of those games where he just eats. And you need that. Um... Offensive line's been playing better as well, allowing that to occur. And doing so, I mean, I think the most impressive thing of this Detroit win wasn't 
Jordan Love's play, which it was great. But it was the fact that he did it without Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. And having to rely on a backfield of A.J. Dillon and, and Patrick Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, on a short week, Patrick Taylor coming from the New England practice squad back to Green Bay for another stint with the Packers. So really the only running backs you had in the room to start the week was A.J. Dillon. And A.J. Dillon, traditionally speaking, has struggled in the role of RB1. And statistically, if you look at the box score from this last game, you'd probably still say he struggled. I disagree. I think he played very well situationally. He was 14 carries, 43 yards, with a long of 17. Um, He also added three catches for 38 yards, including a long of 22. So, again, just all sorts of, you know, again, a very team win. And so... I'm not ready to say contenders like for playoffs for this year. I don't care about that. Mm -hmm. But I am beginning to see this, again, the growth of, okay, maybe there is something actually here that very well could go into next season and beyond the season after that. Um, I know for our listeners' sake, I'm going to be very upfront with this, is I've been very vocal on if Jordan Love isn't the guy that you need to move on sooner rather than later than giving him two years. And I still agree with that as a whole, just based on mm-hmm. how contracts in the NFL are. I want to be clear, I was not writing the guy off. But just from a conversational sake of, do you stay where you are or do you move on and get a younger, cheaper guy and do what the, the 49ers have had? It's a, it's a great conversation to have. Mm-hmm. It's an important conversation to have. But for the sake of of the current team, I've been incredibly impressed, and I and I love watching Jordan Love play because on top of you know the results the last four weeks, even the loss against Pittsburgh, the guy plays with both, and this is so contradictory. It doesn't really make sense again unless you see it. He plays with such a poise but a swagger, mm-hmm. a confidence yet calm. Yep, and that is something that you need your quarterback to have. And you don't get that from every NFL quarterback. And the fact that he has that, like you put him on the field with the other 10 guys around him. He is, I mean, obviously we all know, but if you did, if you took the numbers off of him, he is very clearly the leader of the quarterback. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that I think is, Possibly even more important. Like again, we're seeing the growth as a player. That's great, but that's also an incredible point to look at when you talk about the growth. I mean, this is a guy who, after his first season, thought he might have to start right away because of all the retirement trade rumors, whatever. He had mm-hmm. one season where he was QB three, which he was just truly a learning year with COVID and everything else going on in the world too. Yep. And here we are. So. I give him a lot of credit. Right. Um, in terms of this game for this week against the Chiefs, I don't think these are the same big bad Chiefs that have been around the NFL the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I uh, agree. I do not want to write off Taylor Swift magic because there, there's a lot of rumors that she is going to be in town for this one. Sunday Night Football, Simone Biles, Biles and Taylor Swift are buddies. Um, so I'm not I'm not writing that off. I'm going to speak now 
and get back to December on this. Because 22 guys will be on the field at any point. You see what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah, and I'd appreciate it if you knocked it off. <laughs> this has this team has to be fearless. They are gonna be seeing a lot of red. I'm gonna mute you. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna see how many I could get in. Um You got enough. But for what it's worth, Matt LaFleur is undefeated as head coach of the Green Bay Packers in December. This game will be December third. Let's keep that train rolling. This is a very beatable Chiefs team. Um, I think we're going to see some sparks fly in this game. And it Anything well else? Be, sneaking? Yeah, very well could be a, a Jordan Love story. <laughs> I'm hanging up now. <laughs> All right, that's the last one that I have for now. I really can't think of any more. But oh, goodness. <laughs> um, six points spread in the game. Your quick picks on this one, Dylan. Um, Chiefs by six, by the way. I want to be clear on that. Yeah. I, my head is telling me to take the Chiefs. My heart is telling me to take Packers. Mm-hmm. I think the Packers cover. I still think they're going to lose. But I, I will say that they cover. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, because, again, you can go with the delusional Packer fan that this team's on the rise and yeah. and get a little too swept into it. Um, could be a cruel summer coming up, but... Uh, no, in all seriousness, I, I'm going to pick the Chiefs to cover, just because I think we're going to see it swing the other way a little bit. I think you know Packers fans and Packers as a team are riding a really high right now, mm-hmm. and kind of looking forward to that five game finish of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there is. I won't be shocked if Green Bay comes out and wins this either. Neither would I. Um, I I just again it's kind of one of those that can be right or happy type things, and I'm feeling a little fearless, so I'm I'm still gonna go with the Chiefs. Would be great folklore if the Packers won, though. <laughs> Maybe we'll have an epiphany on Jordan Love. I'm about to hang up. <laughs> okay, we're out of the woods now. <laughs> we'll have a complete blank space just to end the episode. And I do want to ask you, what are you rooting for for the upcoming week? Packers got a big game. I'm going to root for them. Uh... Since we didn't touch on them, I'm going to say go Bucks. And I'm so hoping I don't have to see too much of Taylor Swift during the game this weekend. 
Oh, Dylan, look what you made me do. You just got to shake it off. <laughs> it's going to happen. If she's there, it's going to happen. I'm fully embracing it, if you could tell. But Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I just, I'm excited. Uh, get a good week of you know, kind of Packers hype. It, it's fun to be a Packer fan again. It's not struggling. So I'm, I'm going to embrace that for the week. Also, right. go Bucks. And uh, I'm going to give you a chance here to pick a bar for the week as well. Oh, gosh. I haven't been out to any bars in a while. Um, never been there, but I'm going to shout out Lucky Dogs in Nina. Um, another bar owned by my friend, or partially owned by my friend Nick. Um, it is on Green Bay Ave here in Nina. Yeah, let me let me pull this up, Dylan. It is 157 South Green Bay Road, Nina, Wisconsin, 54956. Um, they're open, and you can call them if you want to place an order, 920-727-0415. 4.3 star reviews on Google uh, out of 204 reviews. Uh, a lot of people talking about it's got a wedding banquet space. People talking about, let's see. Great atmosphere, great food, which you're assuming at least similar to Willie Beeman's. Uh, I would think. Which has incredible food. So uh, great crowd, apparently. Pool, darts, packers. Uh, big parking lot for buses and limos if you're into that. Mm-hmm. Um, a good brat. The memorial, they do a memorial day car show. So... I'm going to say uh, great reviews all the way around. I also have obviously not been there, but uh, that's one to definitely check out next time we're in the Fox Valley. Agreed. All right, Dylan. For Shauna, Ramsey, Sean, who participated this week, Justin, who was doing his coaching thing, I'm Eric. That's Dylan. We're signing off. Episode 136 in the books. We're out. See you. Peace.